Hello, everyone, and welcome to the United City Greensboro podcast, a church in the heart of Greensboro with a desire to practice the way of Jesus for the renewal of all things. You can learn more about our community at unitedcitygso.com. Enjoy today's teaching. All right, good morning, everybody. Hope everybody's doing well today. Hope you've had some time to enjoy the beautiful weather that God has graced us with these past few days. I'm Josh, by the way, for anybody who doesn't know me. So when I was walking up this morning, so I always have a, um, if you know me, I always have a set of prayer beads in my pocket. And these prayer beads are like my, like Linus with his blanket. This is like my security blanket. So I recognized when I was walking up this morning that I did not have my prayer beads in my pocket. Not a good sign. So I walk up to my friend Anderson, and I go, Anderson, I forgot my prayer beads. And so I told him, I was like, you're going to have to stand beside me and hold my hand while I preach. (laughs) To which he responded, I've got a set of prayer beads in my car. I'll go get them. (laughs) So he came through with the prayer beads. Do I have to give these back to you? I'll give these back to you. They're just on loan. So we're going to be in the Gospel of John this morning, chapter 15, verses 1 through 10. And I have some, um, some notes and things like that that I want to share with you. I always feel like what I have to offer really doesn't constitute a sermon, but whatever it is, I'm going to share it with you this morning. And there's so much in this passage in, in John chapter 15 where Jesus talks about him being the vine, that as I was kind of working through it over the past few days, I realized that Not all of this can necessarily fit into one sermon. So what I really want for us to grasp this morning is Jesus' invitation for us to rest in him. And I'll get into this a little bit more later, but as Spencer was saying in in his announcements, we live in a society, y'all, that is so fast-paced, unnaturally fast-paced. I was listening to a podcast this week on the paleolithic brain that tells you all you need to know about me it's my idea of a good time and what I learned was the paleolithic brain which our brain now was basically the same as it was then and that the paleolithic brain is designed to spend most of its time in rest and play of course there was work that needed to be done but they only worked when it was necessary When there was work to be done, they got together and they did the work. But the default mode of the Paleolithic brain was always play and rest. We're living our lives now where we have just completely marginalized rest. We hardly have any time at all for play, which is sort of like rest in motion. Even when we play, it's super competitive. Maybe like y'all's little field day. But we work, 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 work. And our brain, of course, we're created in the image of God. We were actually, he created us to rest primarily. To be at a state of rest in him. And so there's this invitation here in in John chapter 15. um, That just sort of blurted out my whole sermon just right there at the beginning, but that's okay. This invitation for us to rest in him. And as strange as it may sound and as contradictory as it and counterintuitive as it may sound, what I feel like we have to do, y'all, is we have to fight for stillness. Because we live in a, um, 
We live in a very consumeristic, materialistic society that is very content to keep us on the surface of life, that does not want us to rest, because if they can keep us, if the systems of this world can keep us at a frenzied pace, then they can profit off of our anxiety. And so what that means is society is not going to help us to remind us to incorporate stillness into our lives. And so this is something as believers we're supposed to be living out and lifting up an alternative to the way of the world that everybody's caught up in. But we as individuals, but also we as a community of believers should be lifting up an alternative. This is not the only way. There is an alternative to this, and that alternative is to, yes, work when you need to work. There are things that need to be done. But our work should emerge from a place of rest. Not from a place of compulsion or a place of frenzy and anxiety, harriedness, but that our default is to rest in him. Now I really have preached my whole sermon, and I didn't even read scripture yet. Let's read scripture, John chapter 15, verses 1 through 10. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vineyard keeper. He removes any of my branches that do not produce fruit, and he trims any branch that does produce fruit so that it will produce even more fruit. You are already trimmed because of the word that I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. A branch cannot produce fruit by itself, but must remain in the vine. Likewise, you cannot produce fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, then you will produce much fruit. Without me, you cannot do anything. If you do not remain in me, you will be like a branch that is thrown out and dries up. Those branches are gathered up, thrown into a fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask for whatever you want, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified when you produce much fruit, and in this way prove that you are my disciples. As the Father loved me, I too have loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will Remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and have remained in His love. Okay. I think we have a picture of a, um, a couple of pictures of a grapevine. There we go. So this grapevine is in my backyard. I'm sorry about the photo quality. Y'all are going to see something right here. Don't, don't go to the second picture yet, but this is my picture. In a second, you're going to see my wife's picture, and it's like... It's, I think it was taken with the same device, but it really doesn't look like it. So this grapevine is in my backyard. Now, I'm sure that this exact grapevine or a grapevine like this is probably not exactly what Jesus had in mind when he's putting forth this image of him being the vine and us being the branches. Probably the grapevines in uh, first century Galilee were more sophisticated and exotic than that. But that's basically the gist of it. So I went out yesterday in my backyard trying to get some inspiration uh, ended up taking a nap, but <laughs> hey, naps can be very inspiring. I actually laid down under the, under the grapevine trying to figure this out. 
You know, it's very interesting that Jesus says he's the vine. He doesn't say he's the trunk. There were other trees around him in first century Galilee that he could have chosen from. Could have talked about the olive tree. Could have talked about a fig tree. He talks about those in other places. But he specifically uses the example of the vine. What I notice when I first look at this, and, and as you kind of get closer to it, you can see that the vine and the branches are all tangled up together. And actually, I had to trace it down to the root where it was coming up out of the ground to even differentiate between the vine and the branches. So just looking at it, you can't really tell, wait, is this, a, is this the vine or is this a branch? Because they're all tangled up together. Whereas with a, you know, a fruit tree, let's say an apple tree, well, you can see, okay, this is the trunk, here are the branches. Yes, they're connected but there's a distinction. You can tell where the trunk ends and the branch begins, if that makes sense. But with the vine, you can't. I want to read this quote from, um, this quote is from a man named Thomas Brody. Thomas Brody wrote a tremendous um, commentary. There he go. I didn't know what he looked, that's what he looks like, Spencer. <laughs> wrote a tremendous uh, commentary on the gospel of John. Uh, Side note, Spencer and I found out this weekend that Thomas Brody did not believe in the historical Jesus. Semantics. No, I'm kidding. But besides that, I don't know why I... Spencer texted me, he was like, you know this guy didn't believe in... I'm like, I don't know why I attract heretics. But all of that... All of that aside, all of that aside, his commentary on John was before he came out with all that. He gives this great... He gives this great quote about John 15. Okay, in the first 10 verses of John 15, the word abide, and depending on the translation that you have, it may say rest, rest in me, or it may say remain in me. Essentially, those words are all communicating the same reality. So in the first 10 verses of John 15, the word abide is used 10 times, a frequency unmatched elsewhere in the New Testament. The image in question, the vine and its branches is particularly effective in suggesting unity. For unlike other trees, where one may distinguish between a trunk and its branches, such a distinction is not clear. The vine consists of its branches. All flow together into one. The vine consists of its branches. So there's so much there in that with the vine and the branches all being tangled up together. But if you want to take away one thing, I think it's this, that when we abide in the vine, when we abide in Jesus as the vine, we look more like Jesus. So in other words, when I was standing there, we can go to that second picture, by the way, if we have the second picture of the, of the grapevine. There we go. Look at my wife's picture. It's <laughs> so much better than mine. When I'm, when I'm having trouble differentiating, I mean, think about this. This is really cool. When I'm having trouble differentiating between the branch and the vine, this grapevine, think about somebody having trouble differentiating between you and Jesus. Think about you abiding so deeply in Jesus. Think about you being so at rest in Jesus 
that Jesus is producing so much fruit through you that when people look at you, they actually see Jesus. And this is what happens when we rest in the vine. If you'll notice this, um, the second lovely picture that my wife took, you probably can't see from where you are, but there are actually little, little buds of grapes here. So if y'all are not, I'm going to estimate around August 15th, I am going to be awash in muscadines. So if y'all are free, come over, we'll make some muscadine jam. But the cool thing here is this. As you see the little buds here on the, on, the, uh, on the branch, it looks like the branches are producing grapes, right? As the branches are all tangled up with the vine, it looks like the branches are producing grapes, but in fact, the branches are actually not doing anything but resting in the vine. The vine is doing all of the work. The vine is producing the fruit through the branches. The only thing that the branches are doing is resting, being at a state of rest in the vine, and the vine is producing fruit through the branches. The branches, and obviously this, think about this as it correlates to us being the branch and Jesus being the vine, us being branches. The branches are vessels through which the vine expresses itself. And in this sense, the vine needs the branches. But the branches are utterly and completely dependent upon the vine or else they cannot produce anything because they're really not producing anything anyway. They're being produced through. The vine is pushing its life into and through the branches and fruit is popping out the other side. Everybody good? Okay. So again, this, this image is, is for us when we look at this. When we're resting in Jesus and Jesus is the vine and we realize that we're the branch, we're not striving, we're not producing good works through our own effort. Yes, we're producing good works. And when people look at us, it looks like that. It looks like, man, that guy, or that, that lady there, that person is doing so many good things. You look at somebody like Mother Teresa, who I think is a great example of somebody who was at rest. It looked like she was doing so many good things. But really, all she was doing was resting in the vine and allowing the vine to express itself through her as a branch. And this is what Jesus is inviting us to do. So many of us are actually, whether we recognize it or not, because we don't rest, because we're not still because we haven't fully surrendered, we're not really connected to the vine. And we're producing fruit that really is not going to last, that's not sustainable. We can't do anything. And I love this illustration too where it says, this branch is not good for anything. Because again, if you go back to a tree, say a fruit tree, if the branch falls off, the branch is dead, but the branch can still be used for something. The branch can, can be burned and provide warmth. You can make something out of a branch, I guess. But the branch of a grapevine, when it falls off and withers, it's too soft, it's too brittle to do anything with it. It has to be destroyed. 
And so this is what happens when we become disconnected from the vine. We've got to get back to that place. And even if we have been disconnected from the, from the vine, his mercy still stands and the invitation still stands for us to be reconnected and to relearn how to rest, to be still, and to bear fruit. And listen, you only have to do it one time to recognize that it's true. You only have to do it one time to recognize because before you do it, it's completely counterintuitive. How can I produce fruit? How can I have a life of obedience if I'm at rest? Well, it doesn't make sense until you do it. And that's why it's called faith. He's asking us to surrender and to rest in him. Jesus is the vine. We are the branches, vessels through which he expresses his abundant life. And the invitation for us is to rest. In order to rest... So again, this word abide, abide in me, means to rest, or some translations say remain. In order to rest in Jesus, we must trust in Jesus. Rest is contingent upon trust, right? I mean, you can't rest if you don't trust. Um, I'll give you a little personal illustration. So I want to come out right now and tell you all, you probably, most of y'all figured this out anyway, but I am a weird person. My wife and I are on a walk the other day, and we're walking, walking our dogs, and we walk past this little house, and it's a little cinder block house, tiny little cinder block house surrounded by trees, and there's all this, like, jagged metal yard art in front of the house. And I stop and look at that house, and I go, man, I love that house. And my wife says, yeah, I know. And I go, you love that house too? And she said, no, I just know that you love that house. And I said, well, how do you know that I love that house? And she said, because you're weird. So I'm weird. I own that. So one of the things as a weird person, my favorite thing to do every month, I spend an hour every month in a sensory deprivation tank. Spencer tried this one time and didn't like it. Anybody ever been in this? Yes. You get in the, listen, let me give a plug for a local business in Greensboro. Sonder Mind and Body on South Elm. You go, so what you do is you get in this little, this little, there's a room, but there's also a pod. I prefer the pod. You get in this water that has 500 pounds of Epsom salt in it. It's completely pitch dark and silent. There can be like this little like ambient music or you can have it silent. And you float in the water. And check it out. The water is 98 degrees, so it's supposed to match your body temperature. So like after a minute, you don't know where your body is anymore. You don't feel your body. You're just floating. <laughs> It is beautiful, y'all. I promise you, it is beautiful. You lose total track of time. It's incredible. Well, the, don't knock it till you try it. $60 at Sonder Mind and Body. Tell them Josh sent you. It'll still be $60, but. So the first time that I go, I'm in there and I'm floating and I'm like, dude, I am doing this thing wrong because my neck hurts so bad. And you, you do it for an hour, and I'm like, dude, I don't know how long I've been in here, but I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make it an hour. My neck is killing me. And so I just laid there, just laid there. And what I realized, y'all, is the reason my neck was killing me is because I have this chronic habit going back as far as I can remember of holding tension in my neck. And I, I hold so much tension in my neck and my shoulders, and it's way, way, way better now than it was, say, 10 or 15 years ago, but it's still something I had to be mindful of. I don't even recognize I'm doing it sometimes. And so 
there was this there was this moment in the float tank where I was like, I've got two choices here. I'm either going to have to completely relax my neck, which I don't even know how to do, or I'm gonna have to get out because this is unbearable. The reason that I wasn't I wasn't resting in the water, even though the water was holding me, right? So in that moment, the water with the 500 pounds of Epsom salt was trustworthy, but I was not trusting the water. I was holding myself up. And I had to get to this moment where I just had to trust. And I couldn't rest until I trusted. And that first moment of trust is scary because you're really not sure. That's why it's called trust. You have to let go. And so once I did that, then my neck just became untangled and I just felt rejuvenated when I came out of there. But here's the deal. Some of us have a lot of neck tension when it comes to our relationship with Jesus. That's how, like, me in the water, that's, that's some of us in our relationship with Jesus. We're just, we're bracing for something bad to happen. We haven't fully trusted him. We haven't fully seen if the things that he says are really true and actually tried to submit ourselves to his teachings and live according to his teachings by the power of his spirit within us. We really haven't done that. We haven't trusted what he's told us about the Father, even though he's revealed to us and told us that the Father is utterly trustworthy. We can't let go. And what I'm telling you is this. We have got to learn to let go. That's why I'm saying we've got to fight for stillness. Because it's only in stillness that we recognize the very uncomfortable truth that we really don't trust. Which is why some of us run from stillness like we do. If we can't trust, we can't rest. If we can't rest, we can't abide If we can't abide, his life can't flow into us. And if his life can't flow into us, y'all, his life cannot flow through us and into the world around us. It all goes back to trust. It all goes back to trust. If we'll just trust him, then he'll do everything else. But if we won't trust him, there's nothing he can do through us until we do. And so sometimes he'll have to break us down until we can trust him. So here's this question, and I don't want you to answer this question out loud. I just want you to let it marinate. Can Jesus be trusted? Really think about it. Can Jesus be trusted? This man is telling us he's divine and that we have to rest in him if we're going to have life and that we can't do anything without him. Why should we trust him? Do you trust him? I'm going to speak for myself and I have a long way to go when it comes to trusting Jesus, but he's, he's brought me a lot farther than I was in the past. I trust Jesus. And you have to answer this personally. That's why I'm, I'm not up here telling you this is why you need to trust Jesus. I can't tell you why you need to trust Jesus. You need to experience Jesus for yourself and find out why you can trust him. I trust Jesus because Jesus reveals the heart of God. Jesus, y'all, and this a lot of what I say, very, very 
I say very few things that are theologically correct. And what I'm, about, <laughs> what I'm about to say is not theologically correct, but I still think it's true. Jesus is like if God the Father just reached in his chest and pulled out his heart, and his heart grew arms and legs, and he set it down on the earth and was just like, there's my heart. That's Jesus. Jesus is the heart of God. Jesus doesn't so much reveal the mind of God, because the mind of God is just so far beyond our comprehension, but we see God's heart so clearly in Jesus, and we realize, even though I don't know what God is up to, I can trust him, because I see in his heart that his intentions are pure, that he's kind, that he's compassionate, that he's forgiving, that he's upright, that he's honest, that he's loyal, dependable, all of that we see in Jesus. But here's the beautiful thing about Jesus, and this is for me personally, is that he doesn't just reveal God's heart. As important as that is, it's a crucial first step. He reveals God's heart and then he pulls us into God's heart. I feel like Jesus has pulled me into God's heart. I trust him because he reveals the heart of God. He pulls me into the heart of God where there is complete and utter safety. In a sense, to rest in Jesus is to rest with Jesus in the heart of God. To rest in Jesus is to rest with Jesus in the heart of God. And Jesus uses this back and forth language between he and the Father throughout the Gospel of John. If you back up a chapter, John chapter 14 verse 10 says this. He's speaking to his disciples. He says, don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me. Jesus says, the words that I have spoken are not my words. Well, whose words are they? It's the Father, he says, who dwells in me, who does his works. So the invitation is that we're dwelling in Jesus as Jesus dwells in the Creator, as Jesus dwells in Yahweh, and now there is complete oneness, not just between us and Jesus, but between us and God, the Creator. Jesus is that connection point between us and God. He reveals God's heart, and then He makes us one with God's heart. Are y'all getting this? Okay, just want to make sure I'm making sense. The words I have spoken to you are not my own. So this even applies to Jesus. Jesus is dwelling in the Father. The Father who dwells in me does his works. And then we're rooted in, connected to Jesus. And therefore, the Father is working through Jesus, through us, into the world around us. So there's a lot more in this passage. He talks about... um, pruning and burning. Now, that's one thing that we can expect if we're going to abide in him. It's not always going to be pleasant. There's a pruning process. I feel like that's a topic for another sermon, but I'll just mention really quick the purpose of pruning. Have you ever seen a fruit tree get pruned? You're like, you ruined the tree. I mean, they really like cut the tree way back when they prune that thing. The reason that they do that, if they don't do that, it'll get to a point where it can't produce fruit. It'll get disease and can't produce fruit because they cut those, those limbs back so that the sunshine can penetrate more deeply into the tree. And also to increase the airflow in the tree so it dries out, so there's not fungus that could lead to disease. 
So the whole purpose, and this is why I always, when I hear this parable of us being the branches and him being the vine and us being pruned as branches, is that's for our own good. He prunes us for our own good. But it's not just for our own good. It's for the good of the whole organism. When they go and they prune the branch, it's not like this one branch needs some help. No, it's like, man, this old tree needs some help. We need to get some sunlight deeper into this tree. Let's trim all these branches back. Let's prune this whole thing not just for the good of the branch, the individual branch, but for the good of the whole organism. And so this pruning process, y'all, sometimes we feel like we're getting pruned. And this is really hard. And I'll say this, I take everything personal. Maybe we shouldn't take it so personal when we're getting pruned. Maybe it's not about us. Maybe it's for the good of the whole organism. And again, our, our role is to, to rest. In conclusion... Don't y'all like those two words? Spencer, honestly, as a preacher's kid, is there two better words on a Sunday morning here? In conclusion, when your dad's, you ain't heard nothing else he said the whole time. But you hear in conclusion. Okay, so let's, let's, let's bring this home if we can. Unlike actual branches, so there is a, there is a, place where this analogy breaks down, right? We are not really branches. (laughs) And Jesus is not actually a, a vine coming up out of the ground. Unlike actual branches, we can choose whether or not we abide in the vine. The the branch, uh those branches that I showed you that were connected to the grapevine in my backyard, they really have no choice in the matter. Right? But we are branches with free will. So we can choose whether or not we stay connected to the vine. We can choose whether or not we remain in the vine. And y'all, abiding sounds really easy and it sounds really good until you actually try it. But abiding takes practice. Abiding takes practice. And this is why I keep coming back to saying we have got to fight for that time in our lives. You need a place and you need a time where you can be still. There was a, there was a, a day in time, y'all, where it happened naturally for us as humans. But that time is gone. And I think that's why we're breaking down so bad. We, in order to abide, we need two things. We need community and we also need solitude. And the fast pace of our society and the, the ever-presence of our devices not only breaks down community, it also breaks down solitude. Because you can be sitting in a corner by yourself for an hour, but if you're on your phone or whatever device you're on, you're not practicing stillness. That's not what stillness is. Your body might be still, but your mind, your heart are not focused and still. And so this, again, this materialistic, surface-oriented society that we live in keeps us chained to the surface and it seeks to it seeks to eliminate community and solitude which are things that we need in order to abide and to rest and in order to bear fruit we will have to be intentional society will not help us with this um one of the things i've shared before i work as a prison chaplain so on thursday afternoons we have a kind of a Bible study, but we sit in a circle, we pray together, we read scripture. There's usually a short lesson, 
But we always close our time with seven minutes of complete silence, which is a strange experience to have in a prison, to be sitting there in complete silence. And I always tell the guys, look, man, do what you want to do during this time. You need to take a nap, take a nap. We've, we've, um, we've gone through a practice of centering prayer. Some of them practice centering prayer. Some of them meditate. Some of them take a nap. Some of them sit there and read their scripture. But we're all going to be still and we're all going to be quiet for seven minutes. And I've had, I've had men leave and never come back because they don't want to experience it. Just only seven minutes of silence. It can be very uncomfortable, but it's crucial. It's the medicine, y'all. It's the medicine, and medicine doesn't always taste good. But we have got to get back to that place if we're going to rest in him, because if we're not going to rest in him, we cannot produce fruit. A materialistic society is determined to keep us busy and anxious the systems of Babylon profit from our frenzied, anxious lives, but we were meant to rest. We were meant to trust. We were meant to abide. And we were meant to bear the fruit of loving obedience. I want to ask you all to stand now, if you can. And um, here's, what I want, here's what I'm going to invite you to do. We're going to move into a time of communion, but before we do that, I'm going to invite you just to, if you will, close your eyes and, um, and just open your hands in, in front of you, okay? And I, I want you to receive this, what may be for many a very familiar passage. This is from Psalm chapter 46, verses 10 and 11, but I, I just want you with your eyes closed and your hands out just to receive this from Psalm 46, verses 10 and 11. And then I'm going to pray over us. Stop moving and know that I am God. Stop moving and know that I am God. I am exalted among the nations. I am exalted throughout the world. The Lord of heavenly forces is with us. The God of Jacob is is our place of safety. Father God, we thank you so much for your goodness to us. We thank you for the way that you've revealed your loving kindness to us through your creation, through the beauty of this day that surrounds us, through fellowship, through friends. But most of all, your ultimate revelation, Jesus Christ, who is your heart, who is the ultimate embodiment of your character who shows us beyond the shadow of a doubt, not what you think about us, but how you feel about us. And he reveals your deep love for us. Father God, I pray that you would forgive us for the times that we have been hesitant, reluctant, downright resistant when it comes to trusting, trusting, trusting. And we confess now, that you, as you revealed yourself through Jesus, are trustworthy. So therefore, help us to trust. Help us to drop our shoulders. And help us to relax and help us to rest in you. May we rest in you. May we abide in you. May we cultivate stillness. May we be indwelled by your Holy Spirit. And may we bear much fruit for the coming of your kingdom on the earth. In Jesus' name, amen.